Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Hello, welcome to another episode of Motherhood Exposed. Today is part two of Karina Demon's incredible story. So if you're joining now, go back an episode so you don't miss out on part one. Today, Karina talks me through the long and complex journey to her four beautiful children. I won't put any spoilers in the intro and just leave it for Karina to tell her utterly remarkable story herself. <laughs> right, so... But no, honestly. That's incredible. Um, but let's get back to making babies. So... Yes. So yes. you came back... So, so. Um, yeah, oh. we came back to the UK. This is, we're, we're now in 2016. We came back to the UK ironically whilst I was in Canada I'd received a message from a lady called Ina and this was when I was I think I was in intensive care at the point Ina messaged me and she just said oh I've been following your journey on the forums and like I just think your story's incredible and like do you want to chat I just sort of said like I had to laugh and then I just said to her I mean, if you think my story is interesting, like I'm currently in intensive yeah. care. Here you go. I've got a new chapter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I was just like, I'm not sure where we're going to go with this. I'm not sure where, what life has in store. But, you know, I know I want to be a mom if I get through this. And she was like incredibly hopeful. And she never she she was never afraid of that point in my life. And she just said, oh, like, I really hope, hope you get better soon. She never said, I hope you get better. She goes... I know you'll get better I just hope it's quickly and then she said I hope you get to enjoy parts of Vancouver whilst you're there like you know make the best of a bad situation I hope that I hope you can get some really like lovely memories out of it and then we kind of just lot of vaguely kept in touch we weren't talking every day but we vaguely kept in touch and I just kept thinking wow like she's so hopeful and she doesn't even know me and I think you know, I don't think she actually realised how much hope she gave me mm. in, you know, in the future by just the couple of messages that she sent. And, you know, when we got back home, I just said to her, look, I'm back home and, you know, this is the prognosis. But, you know, what I know, I'm going to be all right. Like, you know, that first 24 hours, I was petrified that I would die. But the minute I made it through that, I knew I wasn't going to die. And, um, and if you want to keep chatting, let's keep chatting. And so we did. And like, you know, for, through the summer of 2016, we, we spoke like day in, day out and got to know each other, like, you know, in quite a lot of detail and shared so much of our personal experiences. And, and then in, in the December of 2016, I was in Bath, well, in the area of Bath with my girlfriends. And I just messaged her and I said, oh, do you know what? I forgot to tell you, but I'm in the area. She lived in Bath or just outside of it. And I said, oh, I'm going to the markets, the Christmas markets with my friends. Like, I don't suppose you want to meet up for a coffee. And she goes, oh, that's really strange. I'm taking my daughter to the Christmas markets tomorrow anyway. So, yeah, I'd love to. And that was the first time we met. Yeah, and it just sort of fell into place. And we met in the December of 2016. And, you know, I think I fell in love with her because (laughs) what I, you know, she she was on her for a number of reasons. But what I love about her, her, you know, always will, is that she really had... um, an appreciation for the intended mother and the mother who couldn't carry her child like 
she was never someone who wanted to be showered with um praise or gratitude or even though I do do that but you know at the time she was like you know what I need you just as much as you need me because I want to carry a baby for someone but I don't I don't want another baby and I can't fulfill my dream of being a surrogate without someone like you who can't <laughs> carry their child like this is a two-way street and I An don't want to be put on it. a pedestal yeah yeah and and she just said look I like I don't want to be I don't want you to ever feel indebted to me for, for if I do this for you and I thought god that's so refreshing because you know we we live in this space where um sometimes the the sort of the the work that goes before the surrogacy journey is forgotten and you know for 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 a woman to arrive at the point at which she asks another woman to carry a child like she's had to go through a lot of trauma Mm -hmm. and she's had to sacrifice a heck of a lot and she's had to just give up so much of what was important to her what is important to her for for the bigger picture and you know people always say to me oh you're so lucky you found a match or you're so lucky that you you found a surrogate and I'm like yeah yeah I am lucky but but you know what Ian has let me say Ian has let me feel it okay to say that my surrogate was lucky to find me too like you know it wasn't just me who who lucked out finding her she lucked out finding me Mm -hmm. because that you need to, you know, it takes two to make this thing work. It's, you know, you, you can't just do it without both parties. And I think, you know, obviously, yes, for same-sex, you know, male same-sex couples, it's very different. You know, neither of them were ever going to be able to carry yeah. a child. And so the surrogacy journey is very different. But when you have a heterosexual couple and the, the woman in that couple has had to give up her ability to carry a pregnancy, acknowledging that trauma that grief and that work that that person has done to get that to that point is really important and you know I add I'm a massive advocate for that and for acknowledging the pain of the intended mother and the spirit and the will that goes into a woman's um journey and Ina was on the same page and I think that was the point at which I thought you know I'd love for you to carry my child because you know what you really believe in the same things I believe in and and ultimately you know we chatted more and we got on more and like we we we, we both clicked and then our pa- our partners met each other and I met Ina's children and we all just really got on with each other and we were really lucky we started going through sort of surrogacy agreements and talking about all of the big deal breakers you know like you know how many embryos she'd be willing to transfer or like what would lead to her desire for a termination or our desire for a termination if things ever went horribly wrong or you know what would happen in just horrible you know you have to talk about awful scenarios like you know if if, if there was ever a stillbirth what would you do if there was a miscarriage what would you do and you know if Satya and I were to die in a plane crash while Ina was pregnant what would we do um so we talk yeah we talk about all of that and you know when it came to every every one of those points we were pretty much on the same page and you know no one was no one was lying you know everyone was being true to themselves when we when we had these honest open heartfelt conversations and and I'm so you know so fortunate that that it was a perfect match and we were you know fully aligned in Mm. everything that we wanted out of this surrogacy journey so so we matched with each other in um I think it was sort of the spring of 2017 um, and then over the summer of 2017 we decided to go through an embryo transfer so we got our 12 little embryos that were in a in a hospital in um, London and transferred them to a clinic down in Surrey which is where we had our treatment mm-hmm. um, and we thawed them all uh, we, that's what, sort of what we were told by the clinic that we should thaw them all and find the best embryo um, so we did that 
and we found, you know, one very strong, very strong embryo um, that got to blastocyst um, by day five. And there were a couple that were sort of just coming up behind it that were that were that were pretty good grading too. Mm-hmm. But the team said to us, look, you just have to transfer that one, that one blast, you know, that one blastocyst and 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 let's give that a go. Don't worry about sort of multiple transfers or anything at this point in time. So we did that. We we transferred one embryo into Ina, um, and the rest were meant to be parked for the rest of the day and then frozen at the end of the day for us to to go with um, if we needed to go again on this particular journey or if we wanted a sibling if we were if we were blessed with a baby at the first time round. Mm-hmm. And so we did that, and then sort of Sati and I had booked to leave the country for a couple of days because we were you know that period where. The you've just sort of had an embryo transfer yeah. and then the weight is just horrendous and I think if you're not carrying the, the embryo the weight is maybe slightly more um full of angst because yeah. you're sort of everything's in someone else's hands so yeah. we'd always planned to sort of just get away for a couple of days so we so, you know we had our, I think we had our transfer on the Thursday and then on Thursday night we just jumped on a Eurostar over to Brussels and we were going to be there for for, for for three nights or something a long weekend just to sort of get away and for Ina to have a little bit of space because otherwise I would have probably just been whatsapping her like yeah. oh you okay are you okay you know yeah. so so we so we each went our separate ways and then so on the Friday I tried to get in touch with the clinic but didn't didn't hear from them um and then on Saturday and Sunday I just kept saying to Saturday oh it's, it's odd I haven't heard from the clinic you know I'd love to know what, what went back into the freezer how many embryos went back in you know we were led to believe on Thursday that there would be a good amount going back in um and then on the Monday, I had nothing. And then on the Tuesday, I was back in the UK and I said to Ina, look, they haven't called me. I just need to give them a ring and like to see what's going on. I'm a bit worried now. And Ina was like, yeah, I'm a bit worried now. What's going on? Why have they not called you? And obviously at this point, we don't know if we're pregnant or not with our transfer. Um, and, you know, Ina was only three or four days post-transfer and we hadn't mm-hmm. taken any pregnancy tests. It was no. so early. Um, and then on the Tuesday, I got through to the clinic and I just sort of said can you put me through to embryology I've been trying to speak to them for the last four days what's going on and eventually got through to embryology and just said look what happened on 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 Thursday like you didn't call me to say how many embryos you froze you you were meant to give me a ring and this girl who I'd never really spoken to before just said oh Mrs Demon, I think you're confused and I said no what do you mean I'm confused and she goes oh well we we didn't refreeze anything and I just thought what do you mean you didn't refreeze anything like when I sat in that room you told me there'd be at least three or four to go back in the freezer and she said oh no um everything was left and it all perished and then we just discarded it and I just like I remember falling to the floor in the hallway of my um landing or on the landing upstairs um just sat underneath the window and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and just thought how could that possibly have happened like I was sat in this room on Thursday with one incredibly strong embryo Mm. and, you know, three or four that were doing pretty well, told Mm. that we would pop them in the freezer. And, you know, Satya and I had been sort of dreaming about this first transfer working and then having a sibling out of the remaining, you know, we'd, we'd started already making those visions of the future Mm. and then I sat there and just thought how can she just tell me that on the phone like I I I mean even to this day I don't really understand what happened um but the reality was that we lost every other embryo that that we'd harvested pre-chemotherapy and there was me unable to to go again in terms of an egg collection so my only 
yeah, that was it. And uh, my only chance of ever being a genetically connected mum was inside the womb of my surrogate. And I phoned Ina and I said to her, like, you're not going to believe what's happened. And, you know, I just sort of said the story back to her and she was just fuming on the other end of the phone. And she was like, how can they do that to you? How can they do that to you? I was there. You know, they said there was they were going to freeze it. Uh And she was really angry. And then we sort of both just said, look, I said to her at this point in time, I don't want to think about it because I can't go down that that negative route of what happened I just have to concentrate on that one embryo inside your stomach that is the only place my energy is currently being channeled and I will deal with that situation later but right now we have to pray that you're pregnant Mm -hmm. and she she then said you know yeah you're right you're right let's 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 forget about that and let's just will this embryo to stick so yeah so we um so we just prayed for that, you know, and then <laughs> funnily enough, before the transfer, we'd said we were never going to pee on sticks and that we'd always wait for day 10 to have some pregnancy bloods tested yeah. to figure out if we were pregnant. Obviously, this news kind of changed everything. Yeah, and of course. Ina just wanted to give me a bit of hope and she wanted to do something that would lift my spirits. And I didn't realise it, but I think by day five, she started peeing on sticks. And, uh, and, then, and then she sort of would send me like these cheeky messages and photos of herself in the bathroom going shall I do it shall I do it (laughs) I was like don't do it don't do it I'm not ready to I think I wasn't ready to to come to the reality of it going wrong yeah and I think I had until day so much you can take yeah and I was sort of I think I just wanted to live until this day 10 point in a bubble you know and just and just pray and just pray and assume that it was going to be all good and the Uh minute she would show me a negative test it would burst this bubble so I just didn't want her to take a test but Uh she was she was taking them because obviously she knew her body and she 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 said from sort of day five day six because I feel different like I I feel pregnant and I was like you know how like I've never been pregnant so I don't know so I just said like I said how do you feel pregnant like day six I like how do you even know that but don't pee on a stick and then one day she goes look Karina I can't keep this to myself and she just sent me a picture and it was a pregnancy stick with two lines one was slightly you know it it wasn't like two heavy lines but you could see definitely two lines Mm -hmm. and I was just like I don't think I want to down at first I was like I don't want to download the picture and then she sent another one the day after and I didn't download it and you didn't (gasps) didn't download them the willpower that's incredible I know I just didn't I didn't want to download them I didn't want to it was really weird like I was as if I was punishing myself like I didn't want to look at it because I didn't want to let myself be happy just in case I would then come crashing down and it would be like a negative afterwards Mm so I was like I don't want to look at it and then like by the time she sent like three pictures I was like she wouldn't keep sending them if they were like bad news so like maybe I just need to like man up and look at this did you tell Sati that you were getting sent these pictures yeah and he was like do not talk to me like he was like I don't want to know what he tells you like we have said we're waiting for those blood tests like and he was adamant he didn't want to look and then like it's really funny that the clearest picture came when me and Sati were in wicks like we're buying some (laughs) DIY stuff and then like (laughs) romantic isn't it she was like Honestly, like literally the most romantic life we have. And then he was like, and Ina was like, look at your phone, look at your phone. And I was like, oh, God, I don't think I can, I don't think I can. And then 
she sent a pregnancy test picture as I was paying, like me and Satya were queuing in Wix and like oh, I looked at it and it, it was a really clear positive wow. and then I, like I looked at him and he could see I was on my phone and he knew what I was looking at and then I looked at him and I was like Ina, Ina sent this and he just was like I told you don't talk to me do not talk to me I don't want to know <laughs> so I couldn't share it with him no. so it was just me in the DIY store thinking yeah my god we're pregnant <laughs> I was like just like off the scale like whatsapp diarrhea to Ina like oh my god oh my god show me more show me more show me more and like I started to let myself really believe that this was this was this was a positive and then the next day Ina sent me um she did a digital test and I'd never seen one of those like you know I've I've never held a pregnancy test in my hand before I don't know what they look like and she sent me this clear, clear blue test and like I didn't know didn't know that it was like pop up like it was going round and round like the digital thing and then uh-huh. it just pops up this word pregnant and she recorded the whole thing and I was like oh my god it says the word pregnant like oh. I don't know there's something about the word pregnant means more than two lines I don't, you yeah. know yeah. I know it's the same technology uh-huh. behind the scenes but I was like it's literally telling me that we're pre- it's telling me like it's not that I have to make the assumption that two lines mean pregnant this thing is saying it like and I was a bit like I can't, I can't, oh God. And Satie's still like, don't tell me, don't tell me. He still me. doesn't know. He still how, doesn't know. How, how do you live in a house with somebody and not tell them? This is, <laughs> sorry, this completely yeah, blows I my mind. Just, <laughs> I just like had to respect his decision, I guess. And so, and then I like, I'm a big one for surprises. So I just thought, you know what? I'm going to make it super special for him when I do tell him. And part of that was probably me compensating for the fact that I would never be able to be, you know, sit on the bathroom floor and pee on a stick with him and have that sort of romantic mm-hmm. notion so so when he said no you know I was like okay I'm gonna do something really lovely for him and so on day 10 Ina and I go to the clinic and I think Sati you know we obviously knew that he was hoping that it would be good news based on sort of my vibe at the yeah. time and um, Ina and I went to the clinic and we had some pregnancy blood tests and you know right we were told we were pregnant and our HCG levels were doing incredibly well and like it was it was you know it was almost it's just it was just so perfect after everything that we'd been through and then that evening I came home and sort of made this little box for Sati which was um a bit of a it was just like a pregnancy announcement box and in it I had sort of printed out the test that said pregnant and then I had bought a little um baby sleep sack that said an adventure is about to begin and I bought like the baby a first baby grow and um I put a picture of Ina and I together in there and just lots of lovely lovely things for us and sort of written him a card and just you know just just sort of created this this I don't know this little package that was our version of you know yeah finding out you're pregnant for the first time and, and like I just popped it on the table and when he came home from work I gave it to him and and he was like you're not messing with me are you and I was like no I'm not gonna like literally this is not the time or place for a practical no. <laughs> like, this is absolutely what is happening and and we just you know, we just couldn't believe it that after everything that we'd been through for the sort of four years that preceded that that pregnancy test that we were then sitting here, you know, yeah, very early on in a pregnancy, but with more hope than we'd ever had before. Yeah. And, you know, given the situation that we had no more embryos, we just couldn't believe that we would be lucky enough for this one little fighter to actually stick inside Ina's womb, you know, and 
and then, and it did and and you know for the next nine months we sort of stayed in contact with Ina we would see her where we could we went to all of our scans together and you know Ina did lovely things like, like play my voice to the bump and play Satie's voice to the bump and we were as close as we could be during that pregnancy and and um you know the week before Amala was born we moved up to Bath and we spent like we rented a cottage and we spent some real quality time with Ina and her family and then you know Ina went into labour. Can I just quickly ask, um, how, yeah. how old were Ina's children? At the time, I think they were about eight and 14. Oh, wow. So I think that was, yeah, I think they were around about that sort of that, that sort of age. I can't actually remember. Um, but yeah, they were, the, the, her little boy was younger and her daughter was was older. She might, she might have been slightly older, 15 or something like that. But And they were all on board with and understood with everything going yeah, on. Yeah, they were. I mean, I think interestingly we had Ina's daughter on our podcast and it was lovely to sort of hear her view of it um I think like Arda was sort of the older her her older daughter was kind of in her own little vibe and doing her teenage girl thing and you know it was a bit like her mum was doing this thing and whatever and then Ollie (laughs) you know Ollie her youngest um he was younger and he was trying to understand it more and you know he would play with like he would cuddle the bump more but he always knew that the bump wasn't the baby inside Ina's tummy wasn't going to stay and that Ina was looking after this baby for us. And it's really bizarre, actually, because I think you know, I remember Ina saying that when Ollie first was trying to get his head around it, he thought that Ina was carrying a baby for Sati because I wasn't around. Um, and he thought I had died. And he goes, is she Aww. dead? And then when he met me, he was like, but she's alive and then he said yeah she's alive <laughs> like she's very much alive but her tummy's broken and so she can't do it herself and so she needs some help so he started you know, like he quite quickly got got to grips with that and he was like oh yeah her tummy doesn't work so mummy's just like looking after this baby in her tummy and then mummy will give the baby to Satie and Krina when the baby comes and that's all it was you know and, and, and he he knew yeah he knew who we were he knew like how this baby had like you know was growing in his mum's tummy but 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 wouldn't be living in their family and and yeah and and that's kind of how it went and you know we we had some lovely lovely memories with with Ina and her family and we you know we were all there when when she went into labour and you know the point at which Amala came into the world Ina was taken into theatre and her partner was by her side and then I was sat next to him and then Satie was sat next to me and the four of us were there you're all and in th- Amala was we were all in theatre together brilliant. and um, oh god it was just like I could replay that in my head over and over again I can remember every moment of it um and you know Ina uh, Ina gave birth to Amala and the, the the nurse held her up and I was like oh my god it's a girl and you know said so Satie like I had a girl's name picked out and I'm like her name's Amala and he was like yeah she, her name's Amala Aww. and it was just perfect you know like I remember looking at this baby thinking you know you're so loved and you, you're so wanted and you know one day I'm going to tell you how much we went through to, to bring you to life and you know I hope you never forget that because I hope you'll always feel the love of mummy and daddy and you know not not just mummy and daddy but also Ina and her family because mm-hmm. You know, I do talk about surrogacy in the South Asian community and how sometimes it's hidden and sometimes, you know, people will have babies in this way and and keep it from them or, you know, or not really share that with with the rest of their sort of society. And I just think I want to shout it from the rooftops because 
to me, like my children are so lucky that they didn't just have mummy and daddy who wanted to bring them to life. They had these complete strangers who had this love for their parents that they went through the journey with them, you know, by their sides. And they went through all of the sickness and all of the drugs and the pain of childbirth because they had a connection to, to, to mummy and daddy and they wanted to make them parents and they wanted to bring these babies to life. And like, my God, why would I not tell my children that? Yeah, it's, it's the most incredible thing in the world. Um, so I do, you know, and like, Amala's now a three-year-old little girl and very perceptive and understands lots of things. And she's seen that Laura carried her babies in her brothers in Laura's tummy. And and so now I say to her, I said, Amala, you know that Laura carried Laura, your brothers were in Laura's tummy, but do you remember you were in Ina's tummy? And she goes, and then sometimes she'll go, No, 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 I was in mummy's tummy. And I said, No, Marla, mummy's tummy's broken. And so Ina, she let you stay in her tummy. And then and then Amala will finish the sentence and she'll say, And then when I came out, I came running, running, running to mummy and daddy and stayed Aww. here forever. And I just think that, like, you know to be able to be that open and honest with a three-year-old and for yeah. her to understand it in her own little way is just absolutely mind-blowing. And, you know, I I hope, and like I spoke to Ardra on our podcast, that by having this journey that was so honest and open, that we raise a generation that sees surrogacy for the beauty and the beautiful act that it is and the incredible sort of coming together of parties that it is and, you know, mm. Arda has said that you know you know if she ever found that her someone you know someone needed a surrogate she would definitely like start thinking about it and I just think you know if my daughter ever turned around and said to me mummy like you know I want to carry a baby for someone who can't do it I would just be so humbled and feel so proud of her like it would just be incredible that you know that she felt that connected to how she came into the world that she wants to pay it forward yeah um so for me, you know, surrogacy is incredible, and 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 sharing that conversation with with my children is is super super important, and it's something that I will do for the rest of my life. Absolutely. You know, and what were those first few days like after Amala was born? They, of course, they were a bit. They were chaotic. I think Kathy <laughs> and I didn't really know what we were doing. We were a bit like, "Oh my god, what do we do?" But I think the first twenty four hours were beautiful. We were all kept in hospital because um, Ina had had an epidural, so she had to stay in, and Amala had a couple of like really tiny health things that meant that she had to stay in. And actually, the first night after Amala was born, um, we were all in hospital. There weren't enough side rooms, so Ina had the side room. So she could get some sleep and I was on the ward with Amala and I think it was about 7 or 8 p.m no actually she was born at 8 p.m so it must have been much later at sort of like 11 p.m or something like that we were like oh we're hungry and like yeah you know we were so like we're so buzzing from from having you know Amala join the world that none of us were sleeping so Satie and I sort of wheeled Amala over to Ina's room and Ina and her partner were in there and we were like oh god let's just get some food let's celebrate you know like this is incredible this is the end you know this is this is what we've all been working towards and Sati packed a cheeky bottle of champagne in his bag <laughs> and some plastic cups so we basically popped open the champagne we ordered a domino <laughs> so we we sat in Ina's Aww. room and like Amala was in her crib and you know we had we had pizza and, and champagne and it was just perfect and then the next day yeah and then Ina was discharged home the next day we stayed in for another day with Amala and then Sati and I took Amala home um from the hospital 
two days after she was born and we stayed up in Bath in our little cottage for another four or five days which was lovely because it was just the three of us and it was this really special time for us just to have her mm. um, to ourselves before the chaos of our crazy family sort of kind of <laughs> depend upon us so it was really lovely for us to have that time with her and then sort of we said a goodbye to Ina on our way back down to to Crawley and you know we went past Ina's house and just you know they came out and they saw Amala in the car and her kids came and met Amala and it was just wonderful you know like just perfect I couldn't ever imagine becoming a mom in any other way because every moment of that journey was just absolutely incredible um, and, and so so special. Can I just go back and ask about the the embryos that were discarded did you ever mm. get an answer with that? Um well yes and no so we like We've 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 just disagreed agreed to disagree I think on it. Um, they the the clinic say that they would never have made it. Um, and so it was their decision to get rid of them. And I like I like my argument, and I think that if any other parent who's had embryos um put on ice, it's the it's the decision of the it's deci- it's our decision on whether course, yeah. we freeze them again and whether we go again. Like you know they they kept trying to say look that the quality was so poor that you would never have res- that would never have resulted in a pre- pregnancy and i was like but that's my that's that's my um that's my decision to make and that's my my choice to try again with that embryo not not for you just to throw it away because you don't think it is so you know we we've gone back and forth I, like i did look for legal advice on on where we stood on this but eventually we kind of just decided that it's not something I wanted to pursue because it was just holding us back from, yeah. you know, from, from the life of sort of positivity that we mm-hmm. wanted. And ultimately, you know, we, we did become parents again, which we'll talk about in a sec, but um, that, you know, I, I know it's really cliched and people hate it and absolutely hate the same, but, but everything happens for a reason. And, you know, if those embryos had survived, I wouldn't be the mum to my triplets that I am today. So so I absolutely, you know, have to accept that that, that 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 those embryos being lost did have its purpose and did serve its purpose because there was something else around the corner for us. You're um, you're incredibly, what's the right word? Big, um, grown up, mature <laughs> to, <laughs> to have that outlook. Um, but let's talk about the boys. So, yes. at what point? So, how old was Amala when you started looking into trying again? she wasn't that old so she was she was quite young Um, we sort of I think we started having the conversations before she was one that we would love to have another baby um but how would we make that happen sort of thing and you know we knew we didn't have the embryos so so we knew we, we would need a donor if we if we were going to to go down the surrogacy route again and mm-hmm. um for me like I the, I'm glad we started the conversation quite early because I had to do like and anyone would have to do a bit of work on themselves when they went to a second journey after having a genetic child of their own um how they would feel towards the donor conceived second child and I just wanted to make sure like in my heart you know I knew I didn't ever look at Amara and see her genes like you know who, who does you know you oh, just see your, yeah. you just see your child yeah. um but I had to make sure that I I was comfortable with that having a mixed family and having a you know having having one child that was genetically my dna and then another child that maybe wasn't um 
and I like I had to check with Sat- like Sati and I would have that conversation like are we are we up for that and you know how easy would it be to find a donor and all of those conversations like we had them quite early on and um did you get any professional you know, support to talk through that do you know what people ask me that all the time and I didn't no I didn't um but I think I'm one of those people like I have a very very close circle of friends and I I think I almost have therapy through my yes. regular conversations like well, it you know what a I mean? like, <laughs> yeah yeah I'm really lucky that I've got some you know super super positive souls in my life and supportive souls in my life um and so I would just sound them out and you know and just like here you know I just say look this, these are my thoughts like and then like one of my friends basically my best friend is now sort of she's a yoga teacher but she's done a lot of sort of work in sort of counseling and there are different therapies and stuff so I think she is really my therapist so you know we could just <laughs> go out for a pizza or something and I would just like tell her all these things and she's probably like I've got this brilliant case study in my best friend like everything that could go wrong goes wrong with her like <laughs> But no, so I think I kind of just have therapy through my regular conversations because I am like, I'm very, I haven't always been, but it seems like in in the past five or six years, I've become very transparent. And, you know, like, I, I don't have any sort of um, reluctance and like, to, to uh, basically, Satchel said I have no filter. So it just comes out, right? Like it, whatever's on my mind just comes out, and and so I would just honestly have these conversations with her, and 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 yeah, probably sort of give myself a little bit of a therapy session through through sort of just chatting with the people that I trusted the most, and amazing. And I like I think I've got to know myself really well as well through through all of our stuff. Like like I said at the beginning, like my cancer diagnosis just helped me realize that this me this is what's important in my life and uh-huh. and I like my gut like I, I've really become tuned to, into sort of my gut and my intuition and like I just I, I have this sort of feeling for what was right and I'll go with it like I'll just go with my gut rather than let fear start to overpower me because because I that's the life I choose to lead yeah. um so yeah anyway so it's so like I was having this conversation and I knew that it would be fine and I knew that this is what I wanted to do but I just had to sort of sound myself out to make sure that I wasn't naively going into this sort of donor conception journey and and Tati and I sort of had the conversations and I began looking into donors and like like sort of doing a bit of research here in the UK and like I guess I did also sort of think about if I went out into the surrogacy community I could have a what's called a traditional surrogate so a surrogate who uses her own eggs to to make a baby um and I guess that's a form of egg donation but but what I was really hung up on at the time was trying to find a donor of colour and um someone who was Indian and who would then give a child that would you know create a child that would ultimately look like me Satya and Amala so the Mm -hmm. family wouldn't look like a mismatch weirdly um yeah so so at the time I really wanted a donor of colour um because I just wanted us to look like a uniform family as odd as that sounds like I kind of thought if I'm walking around Tesco's I don't want people to think like oh that's a you know that's not a normal looking family I, I just kind of thought it'd be really nice if I had a child that looked vaguely like me and and I realized that in the UK that that was going to be really difficult to get because there are there's a real lack of minority egg donors here in the Mm -hmm. UK and then um I sort of did a bit more research and you know I was talking to people in the surrogacy community and just said oh look, look, look I think I need to look into donation and what are my options and I came across someone who just said to me look I'm looking into known egg donations and you know this is the route I'm going down for for various reasons and I thought oh 
I like the sound of that because actually, you know, the having just a profile of someone's sort of eye colour, hair colour and all of that wasn't resonating with me. Like I was looking for more. I was like, oh, I just want a bit more. I want to know more. And I think that might have been a result of the fact that not only not was I going to not share the genetics with this child, but I wasn't going to share sort of the biology of pregnancy with them. So I was almost disconnected in two ways versus with Amara, it was like a like I had the genetics, but I didn't have the pregnancy. This was like you wouldn't have the genetics or the pregnancy. So what can you have to connect you to this child? And mm. if if I could meet that donor, that was in my as soon as I found out that was an option, that was almost like a, like a, like a massive green light saying that's what you need to do, because that's the connection that you will have with 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 this child that you create. So quite quickly decided that we would go down the known egg donation route and got in touch with this clinic and an agency and the agency did have Indian donors on their books so I thought right perfect this is this is exactly what I need so they sort of started to send me profiles of sort of Indian girls and every time I read them I was like oh that's not quite right that's not you know I didn't think it would be like this I just thought you know if she looks like me I'd be like yeah perfect but yeah. I was, I was finding myself reading the bios and like trying to figure out the personalities of these girls and and for, for whatever reason they you know the first few that I read were just like not 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 um not aligned to sort of my life view and then sort of the lady from the agency just came back to me and she goes Look, we've got one more Indian donor she wasn't planning on do you know she wasn't planning on doing a round of donation but she's open to the idea like I've run it past her and and she's open to it if if it's you know the correct intended parents cross her path and I kid you not the minute her bio landed in my inbox I opened it and I read the first line of her bio and I just knew like I just knew she would be my donor and it's because she opened it with something like like one of my life quotes is um if your dreams aren't big enough if your dreams don't scare you they're not big enough and she opened hers with something like if people don't laugh at your dreams they're not big enough and I was mm-hmm. a bit like oh she's a dreamer just like me right? <laughs> and then the more I read like there were more of these sort of there were more of these sort of analogies and more sort of there was, you could just see by her writing that that she was a really quite a spiritual person and um you know I I basically have this thing where where whenever I'm feeling a bit low like I use the word hope as a bit of an acronym. Um, oh, what's the word? An, an-, an acronym? No, oh, an acronym. Don't I know. Whatever it is. Yeah. Whatever. No like, idea. And I just say, like, I look at, I write down the word hope, and then next to it, I'll write down hold on pain ends um, for each of the letters in the word hope. And and that just reminds me that this will, you know, this dark time will pass. And, and she actually had um, a tattoo that just said, there's always hope. And I was just like, oh my god, this is really freaky. Like <laughs> she basically beats my mind. Um and and yeah, so 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 I just went back and I was like, oh my god, you know, like I I, I would love for her to be our donor. And she was she was gonna leave like she she was moving around the country with she was from South Africa, which was the first logistical um nightmare but basically she was from South Africa and uh we were obviously in the UK and we'd chosen a clinic in Cyprus so we had to sort of figure out how we were going to fly people around to to get this donation and um, fertilization sorted which we did um but it had to be done in a type time frame because she was uh, moving away at a certain point in time 
so the, the agency came back and you're gonna have to do this within the next eight weeks if you're up for it and we were like well do you know what we made a decision we want to do this we want to have a baby we want her as our donor there's nothing holding us back so we did everything we could just to 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 get it all sorted and the the clinic said you know what you don't all have to come over actually why you know it might be easier if you just send Saturday over for the fertilization and then you're you're kind of done and I just said to her look that is not an option like yeah <laughs> the whole reason I've done this is yeah the whole reason I've gone through known donation is because I want to meet her I want to tell her about my story I want to tell her about my family and I I want her to know what she's completing for us because that's really important to me and I want to be able to then in the future tell my child that's born through this donation that I sat down with the woman who gave me her eggs and I had a conversation with her and she was a wonderful girl like I just wanted to have that ability to share that with my future child that came Mm -hmm. into this world Mm -hmm. and so we did we flew out and then you know we met her and we were told that we needed to sort of have just 10 minutes with her and let her get on with the rest of her day and stuff and our 10 minute chat turned into something like a three-hour chat and you know we <laughs> now why doesn't that on. surprise me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we just got on really well and like she was amazing with the Marler and like we just chatted and chatted and then we actually then the next day decided to meet up and spend some more time together oh, wow. and like hung out for the whole day and she was just incredible and you know even now I just like you know I'll I'll just look at look at her like you know we we are sort of distantly connected and you know if she wants to know what's going on in my life of course anyone could go on my social media and know what's going on in my life and I could probably find her if I wanted to and know what's going on in her life and Mm -hmm. it's lovely and I think you know the reason I feel so secure in that is having had Amala in my first journey through surrogacy like it's it's reminded me and proven to me that motherhood doesn't come from a pregnancy or from genetics or anything mm. like that motherhood comes from the love in my heart yeah. and, you know I like people will be like some some will say like is that not a bit freaky like that that your donor knows like your your children and she knows that so much about your life and I'm like not what not at all because she's never gonna she's never you know she's never gonna come and invert comments try and steal my children because they're not her children mm. like you know like actually the fact that she can watch them grow is beautiful because yeah. without her they wouldn't be here like you know she is she is as important to me in my life as my surrogates are and you know I have absolutely no fear or inhibitions to my my sons ever wanting to meet her or her wanting to meet them um I think it's really important that when mm-hmm. the time is right if that's what they want to do they, they have that open line of communication because you know at the end of the day there's a connection there yeah, it doesn't mean that she's their mum yeah. but she is biologically related to them mm-hmm. and they deserve to know that so um so anyway like I digress we went to Cyprus we created embryos <laughs> we came back home and um well the plan was that we would then go out with Ina to transfer one of these embryos into her and then a, a month after my embryo transfer um I'd had a message from Ina I was on retreat in Turkey and I'd been meditating and manifesting sort of being a mum again and uh, on the last day of my retreat I turned my phone off which had been off on which had been off for seven days and there was a message from Ina on there and I was like oh that's really random she knew I was away and then on the message it just said Karina um I don't know how to say this to you but I can't carry your second child for you like and then she'd had a change in circumstance and there was stuff going on in her life that meant that it it wasn't right for her to be pregnant again and I remember just sort of crying on my friend's shoulder at this retreat thinking you know what I've just spent the last week 
believing that if I believe what I want to believe I can make it come true Mm. like you know I've sat on this mountain and I've cried every day with like the the power of manifestation and the visualizing our family growing and then I and then I turn my phone on to this like what a cruel world we live in you know and almost like started questioning my belief system and being like am I am I foolish for believing that I can manifest this life that I dream of like am I just like one of those hippies that people laugh at you know (laughs) like what's wrong with me and I was really like I always say I was gutted you know but came back to England and I could sense that Ina was a little bit um concerned that I was upset with her and Uh I wasn't upset with her like and I needed to let her know that that this was not personal if I was upset like I was upset at at my situation and my inability to carry a pregnancy and my inability to grow my family and my dependency on someone else but that meant nothing like personal to her so I picked up the phone and I just said look I just want you to know that I respect that you've messaged me and told me that you can't do this because you you haven't falsely led us up you know led us along another pregnancy route and you know I respect you for the person that you are for the honesty that you're you you know you have at this point in time and I'm not at all angry with you and that you know just because you can't carry a second child for me it doesn't mean that I love you any less because Mm. without you I wouldn't have my first child and that's what you need to know that like you haven't let me down in any way you never owed me a second journey it's just the way the life goes and she was just like you know you know I can't believe you're having you know I can't believe you're being so understanding and I was like well you know what like you know I've been around enough to know this like you know and 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 I, and I accept it um and so that was fine and you know Ina and I you know we're totally fine and we're, we're still as close as we were before um Good. but it did mean I had to find another surrogate you know and that was a bit difficult like it's never easy finding a surrogate you know the ratios are never in your favor as an intended parent there's obviously more of you than there are surrogates and I just thought oh, you know, I'm going to be here for another year, maybe two years looking for a match now. Um, And this was of August to September of 2019. Um, And in this time, sort of, I'd launched our podcast that was sort of helping out the surrogacy community and helping out people who were were sort of just embarking on this. And I'd been quite an advocate for for surrogacy, particularly independent surrogacy, and, you know, spoke quite openly about our journey and, definitely like especially within the South Asian community mm-hmm. it was trying to normalize this reach yeah. parenthood and you know I didn't realize it but I guess you know a lot of my friends in the surrogacy community meant sort of had had a level of respect for me as an intended parent so when I went back out onto my forums and I just said look I'm, I'm unmatched we've got these embryos ready we did not expect to be out here looking like looking for a second surrogate but that's where we are and I'm ready here you know I'm here ready to give my all to, to finding a second match before I knew it like you know my friends were sort of just just saying to other surrogates like if you're looking to go on a journey these IPs are incredible like we've watched their first journey and I had I had some real sort of advocates out there and and ultimately one of my friends who who I'd been really close to over my first journey she she was never my surrogate she was she was a friend of mine who was a surrogate she one day messaged me and just said oh um I want you to message, you know, my friend Laura's just posted up on the forum that she's she's looking into a second journey. I think you should just message her and like, message each other and see how you get on with one another. And so we did, like I found Laura and I messaged her and she, you know, she started chatting to me and, and we said, oh, you know, our friend Kate's introduced us and, you know, we've, we sort of had this common 
commonality and the third party that brought us together and it made it very easy for us to sort of be comfortable in each other's presence and to be honest and open about what we wanted from our second journey so I mean Laura was in a massively experienced surrogate before she became my surrogate um I think she'd completed three families before mine um she's 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 honest she's phenomenal and so she knew exactly what she wanted in her intended parents. And I think having done my first journey, I knew exactly what I wanted from my surrogate. And there were no inhibitions when it came to sort of really awkward conversations. Yeah. And that includes things like money, expenses, and just getting into the nitty gritty really early on about, you know, whether we could afford Laura's expenses, you know, whether, you know, particular clauses were going to go against us and you know mean that we couldn't match and stuff like that we we had some really really um deep conversations really early on and mm. I think I felt really proud of myself actually because the second time round I was much more confident in my in my role as an intended mother and I was like you know what I'm not just gonna roll over and say I'm happy with something if I'm not happy yeah. with it because actually that's not that's never going to make for a good journey so so I was just open and honest and you know I would speak quite openly to my co-host Fran from from our podcast and just say what do you think about this and we would just you know have conversation it was lovely to have that sort of community to fall back on and just to say look this is where I sit on this what do you think like am I being out of order or you know just have that sounding board and Laura and I were really, really, really open with each other and very quickly got to the point at which we thought, you know what? Yeah, we can make this work. Like there are no deal breakers here. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are a few things that need ironing out, but nothing at all that we that we couldn't sort of find a resolution on. And then um, we basically, yeah, we, 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 we sort of met up. It was December again. Maybe December's the month I meet my surrogate. I've just realised I met her. I met Laura in the December of 2019, and um, we we met in a pub and we spent hours just chatting and you know getting to know each other and and just 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 having a really good time. And we left that meeting and I said to her, you know, I'd love to meet again. And she goes, I'd love to meet Satya and Amala the next time. Um, right. Is that okay with you? And I said, of course that is. And um, I said, I'd love, you know, I'd love to meet your kids if they're happy to come along. So the next time we met was in the January of 2020. And uh, she brought her youngest um, son along. And we we sort of sat in Amala and I went along to meet her. And actually, at that point, we took our agreements with us because we were so um, comfortable. Wow, yeah. Like we'd only met, you know, we'd only started talking in sort of September, October. We met in December. By January, we were sitting down with our agreements ready to Gosh. sign saying, you know, we know this. And I that's a really quick turnaround. And, you know, I do often say to my podcast listeners, you've got to take your time. But I think when you've got that level of experience on your side, it helps you to move a little bit faster. And, we, you know, we were both very experienced by this point for, mm-hmm. for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the January, we met and we signed our agreements. And I said to her, look, you know, we, we obviously knew we would have to go to Cyprus. That's where our embryos were. And I said, look, how do you feel about traveling in April? Um, that would mean that I got some time to um, book flights and hotels. And that will actually also mean the weather's quite nice in Cyprus and we're going to be out there for four or five days. We can like book somewhere nice and have a little break at the same time. Uh-huh. And then she just said to me, and I'm so bloody glad she yeah, said I'm this. Just, she I'm just, 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 hand, just put April. the dates together. Yeah, April 2020. Well, she just turned around and said to me, oh, do you think we could go sooner? Because 
like I don't really want to be heavily pregnant over Christmas like that's my worst nightmare like I really you know Christmas is about me and my kids and I would prefer not to be heavily pregnant and then she just said do you think we could go in February and it was already January and I was like well she goes and she just said you know I know my cycles inside out I can be on top of like what scans are needed at what point in time like I can organize that if you can organize the rest of it and I was like I can do like I can do the like admin like that's yeah that's like my forte and if you've got the scans and the all of that like your cycles under control let's go for it so the next day we emailed the clinic and said you know what we're gonna go for February Laura did everything she needed to in terms of like pre-scans and dates for her trans like she just had it all mapped out and I was like oh my god this is incredible she is so (laughs) on form she knew everything and I just was like right okay I'm gonna book these flights and I'm gonna book these hotels like like I had everything else lined up for, for the logistics and then we got to the middle of February and we boarded a plane out to Cyprus and um I think it was the 15th or 16th, no, 15th or 16th of February, we had an embryo transfer. And we sat in this room with this doctor and talked about what we would do for the transfer. And he goes, and I said, well, you know, would you transfer one or would you transfer two? Like, because they were very good quality embryos. Mm -hmm. And he just said, I know the UK will always say just transfer one. But over here, given that you've flown to Cyprus, I would recommend you transfer two. Because if you transfer one, there's a 60% chance of it taking, yes, but there's a 40% chance it doesn't take. If you transfer two, there's an 80% chance you'll get a single pregnancy and a 20% chance you'll get a twin pregnancy. And we'd already talked about twins because we we kind of, we had talked about how many embryos we would transfer. And we, as a, as a team, we had said, if the clinic advises two, we will go with two. Laura was happy to carry twins. We were happy to parent twins. Um, so you know like I just called up Sati and I just said look Laura's happy with that 20% if we do transfer two that's that you know potential chance of twins are you happy are you still happy like to go ahead with this and I was I was like I'm totally happy he was like of course I'm that's we've agreed this like we've had this conversation if they say two we go with two mm-hmm. so that's what we did we transferred two embryos in Laura and I had the next couple of days in Cyprus which were just a beautiful period of time for me and her to bond and, and have a really magical time together and then we came back to the UK um, on the in the third week of February. And then, you know, I said to Laura, don't pee on sticks. But she obviously <laughs> was peeing on sticks. And, she, and then, eventually, you know, we got back and she was like, oh, by the way, just wanted to check with you. Um, if I do, if I do do a pregnancy test, what is it that you would like to see? And she was saying, you know, about five or six days after the transfer, she was saying, oh, I might, I might just take a test. Like, what would you want to see if you did see a test? Do you, do you want to see two lines or do you want to see a digital one? Or like, what's your preference? And, uh, or would you like to wait for a blood test? And I was like, even if I say I want to wait for the blood test, I know you're going to do a home pregnancy test. So show me a home pregnancy test when it's progressed enough for a, a digital one because yeah. like I really that, that that's what I want to see yeah and then she goes oh okay she goes and then I said but don't do it yet don't do it yet like please don't do it yet and she was like okay 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 and then and then the next day like we'd only been back in the UK for like two days which was probably five or six days post transfer the next day I was at my mom's house making a cup of tea and she messages me going I'm just going to ping over um photos from our time in Cyprus so we can you, you know you've got my photos can you send me yours after I said okay sure 
and she must have pinged over all these pictures and I was just faffing around at my mum's house and then I sat down with a cup of tea and uh, thought I better just look at what what Laura sent in let let me just have a quick squiz at these pictures whilst my mum's watching like Homes Under the Hammer or whatever it was (laughs) and then I like I was like oh yeah lovely we're on the plane we're by the you know we're, we're by the sea we're in the apartment and then the very last picture was a flipping pregnancy Cheeky. test, wasn't it? And I was just like, what is it with these women? Like, <laughs> literally, like, it's never the right time or the place. Like, I hadn't even told my mum I had been to Cyprus, by the way. Like, we you didn't want to share that. No, we didn't want to share that with anyone. We would get, We just decided we would do this transfer. Just me, Satie and Laura would know. Oh, I wow. basically, I work I work three days and it's normally, um, I normally work on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I switched my days to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, got on a plane Wednesday afternoon and I was back by Sunday. So no one needed to know that we'd even left the country. I, wow. I literally hadn't told anyone. And so I was like, I can't even tell my mum that like, oh, I'm looking at a picture of a positive pregnancy test. So I was like sitting there like, you know, the cat that's got the cream looking yeah. at my phone. And she was probably like, why, why is this queen like smiling so much at her phone? <laughs> so anyway, so I left my mum's house and did my standard thing, went to the shops and made a little package for Sati. He came home. And I'd got a little letter board and on it um, written the words, uh, uh, big sister, in due Aww. to be a big sister in November 2020. And I'd, uh, Sati came home and I had Amala holding this sign about a, a letter Aww. board that's saying she was going to be a big sister. And I had this box with a bunny and an outfit and a picture of the pregnancy test again. And he walked in and he was like, no like (laughs) that is early how the hell is she like and then like it wasn't just one pregnancy test all that time when Laura had been talking to me pretty much from the point at which we touched down back in Gatwick she was weeing on sticks and literally there was like 15 to 20 pregnancy tests all with really yes a, a couple of clear blues and then the rest were just like really like obvious two-liners and we were just like geez this is mental absolutely mental and she then had a pregnancy blood bloods done and yeah right as rain it, she was definitely <laughs> pregnant through the roof um, I would imagine <laughs> through the roof like her we we got to this point where I was like she was looking at all her previous pregnancy tests at day six seven eight I was looking at Amala's and we were just looking at the color of the lines and we were like that line is heavy yeah that's really dark um and then we were like oh I think we're having twins like you know that's got to be more than one baby and Laura was like it could just be one really strong baby because I've had twins before and it hasn't looked like this and I was a bit like oh my god I was going to Fran and Fran Fran was like I think Fran's my co-host, by the way. Um, Fran was like, I think you've got more than one baby in there. And I was a bit like, I think we have two. And so Sat and I were like, I think we've got twins. Like, you know, and, and so we started to, to believe this. And her HCG levels were just through the roof. She had a couple of blood tests. And we were just like, blimey, O'Reilly, they're really high. That's more than one baby in there. Mm. And then Laura, um, in between, had had a bit of an incident where she was feeling unwell, and she ended up going to A and E because she was worried that she had an ectopic pregnancy. So she went in, and they sort of scanned her, and they just like it's too early for us to see anything or to say anything. But at the moment, you're okay. But we want you to come back at sort of six weeks, so we can we can definitely do a check um, of what's going on inside you. So or five and a half weeks, something like that. So so the day sort of comes at which Laura has the scan, and I saw in the morning just said, look, just keep me posted. Let me know what's going on. Like you know, we're here for you. Anything that happens, we're here for you. Um, 
and I think we were all a bit afraid that it was ectopic at that time because she was she was struggling with some Mm. some abdominal pain and so Satya and I sort of held our breath that day as she went into that scan and in the afternoon she rang me and she just said look um are you sitting down and I was like oh god she's just gonna she's gonna say that it is you know it's ectopic and then this is going to be a nightmare because now we're living in a covid world and you know we basically couldn't go to Cyprus for another transfer even if we wanted to and we were we were sort of I wasn't able to get to the hospital to be with her and you know Sati and I were self-isolating because of my heart disease and covid and it was horrible and she went to this scan on her own and then she phones me and she says are you sitting down and I said yeah I'm sitting down and she goes I said what's happened she goes just just promise me when I when I say what I'm about to say you don't swear and I was like okay I won't swear (laughs) I like I, I don't swear loads anyway but every now and again like I might drop the f word <laughs> and basically she goes to me you're having triplets and of course I was like beep 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 <laughs> what the hell like and she goes yeah there's there's three babies in there wow and we were like no wonder those lines were so dark and uh and you know it, it now makes sense but the thing is, when we when we had our when we went through our agreement, we'd talked about triplets, and you know, we talked about multiples, and we'd said, you know, yeah, twins, we're 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 out for that, but triplets. Me and Satya were like, could we cope with that? And you know, we said to Laura, if if you ever were pregnant with triplets, we would really have to have a discussion about whether we would keep all three babies because that's the massive ask, you know, to raise three <laughs> children. Um, and so she was really worried that that we would ask her to reduce the pregnancy, mm-hmm. but you know what what you think when you're looking at something in black and white academically on a piece of yeah. paper is a million miles away from what you think when someone tells you that there are actual living beings in their stomach and the minute she said it I was like wow I'm going to be mum to triplets like never ever considered wow. that we would ever reduce them and she just said look I need you to speak to that you know you and Sati need to have that conversation of course if that's where you feel you know your your heart is that's brilliant but you you know this is this is both of your decisions so Sati came home I did my other thing again and I went and did a little surprise and it was Easter <laughs> time so I'd gone I went to Tesco's and I bought these bunny rabbit like this these like bunnies and like I bought one big one and then I, I bought three little ones and I bought these cuddly toys and one big one and three little ones to represent Marla and her future siblings and then on my letter board I just wrote um demand party of six <gasps> due November and he looked at it and he read it and he goes party of six and then he could sort of see the cogs like <laughs> how many babies is that and then he looked at me and he went triplets triplets <laughs> so, yeah he goes there's three (laughs) yeah then he was like please tell me you're not joking and I'm like no I'm not joking and he was a bit like oh my god and then we just sort of like we just sat there in disbelief at first and then you know I said look we need to seriously have this conversation because Laura wants to know are we gonna progress with this or are we going to ask her to reduce and he was just like never in a million years will we reduce this pregnancy and I was like thank god you said that because that's how I feel and we both were on that page that you know what we've we've been blessed with three babies we keep three babies Mm -hmm. um Laura's team throughout her first team that she had kept asking her to reduce her pregnancies she was kept being told over and over again that it was high risk and that she should reduce her pregnancy um but she didn't want to 
And it had to be a three-way decision, you know, what she was happy to carry, what we were happy to raise. And again, you know, we were so grateful that we had a really strong team and our values were so aligned that Mm. we all wanted to keep these three babies alive. Mm. And we all sort of said to each other that if nature takes one away from us, then, then that is what what was intended you know like we can't stop that like if that's what happens that's what happens but if they all make it then we welcome them with open arms and you know we do everything we can to support them and to bring them to life and 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 to raise them so so that's what we did and Laura sort of progressed with her pregnancy and she was being seen by her team every two weeks she got to a point where she asked for for a different consultant because she wasn't happy with someone who was constantly telling her and reminding her of the risks and asking her to reduce. So um, she basically switched consultants to a really positive team and then was being scanned every two weeks and, you know, having, having everyone keep a really close eye on her. Um, but we were in the midst of a pandemic and we weren't able to be with Laura in the same way we were with Ina. Mm-hmm. And it did play on my mind a bit. Like I was like, these children, you know, will I will I connect with them will I bond with them because actually I don't even spend half an hour with them every three or four weeks literally spend no time with them mm-hmm. um and I guess a part of me was like they're donor conceived is that going to make a difference like to to how I bond with them and then we Laura had her 12-week scan um actually we did we did meet her just at the beginning of COVID for a six-week scan so since she found out that it was triplets we did Satya and I went up and we we went and saw the triplets on screen at six weeks old so we got to see their heartbeats which was absolutely beautiful and then we were that's it we didn't leave the house after that um and the 12-week scan came and this was at the point at which um only mums were being allowed in mm-hmm. to scans and partners weren't allowed and yep. you like you know the frustration on that is what if the mother isn't carrying the baby no one accounted for that scenario that 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 that, that the mother wasn't at the scan yeah, full stop absolutely. because the babies weren't in her tummy yeah. um so I wasn't able to go to the 12-week scan partly for that reason but also because we were so fearful of the effect COVID would have on me and my heart disease if I were to contract it um and you know Laura and I had a couple of conversations and we just said it's whilst that scan is massively important it's not as important as me staying alive through this through this pandemic and you know if I miss the 12-week scan so be it but I needed to stick around for when these children came into our world so we so we so we didn't get to go to the 12-week scan and then at the 20-week scan Laura had sort of fought tooth and nail with with the hospital and got them to recognize the fact that she wasn't the baby's mother and that the mother should be in the room just like every other mother is in the room for for scans and so she had them approve the fact that I could go and I was really afraid of going. Wow. Yeah, honestly, she's a superwoman. Yeah. Um, and then, but I was really afraid of going. I hadn't left the house for for, for sort of four or five months because wow. we were so oh, afraid wow. of, of COVID. Um, but I said to Sati, like, if I don't go now, like, we were always mindful that we could lose a child anywhere along this pregnancy because we were constantly reminded of the risks. And I said, mm-hmm. if I don't go now and we lost a child anywhere between now and the end of the pregnancy, like I would kick myself that I didn't see that baby when I could have. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I got in the car and drove up and, you know, had more hand sanitizer and anti-back than is probably healthy <laughs> for any adult. Um, but, but went up to the hospital and I saw Laura and I just saw her bump and was like, wow, you know, like that's the first time I've seen them. And like, I was a bit like, she 
oh, we were both like, are we allowed? Am I allowed to touch that bump? Yeah. Like, does the two meter rule work? Like, yeah. like, how does this? How does this work? And then, you know, she was just like, oh, bloody sod it! Like, wash your hands, touch my bump, and give me a hug. Right? That's that's all we need to do right now. So that's what we did, and we went into the hospital, and then we sort of got into the scanning room, and by this point, like, I was sat next to Laura. And the sonographer put the put the ultrasound on her tummy and literally Laura was saying like, oh, that's baby one, that's baby two, that's baby three, that's the head, that's the da-da-da-da. She knew everything, right? And she did. She she was so on top of the pregnancy. It was inspiring that, you know, she'd taken such an interest and she spent so much time like getting to know which baby was where. And, you know, she she knew who she knew which heartbeat she was catching when she was when when the when the Doppler was on and mm-hmm. she just knew everything. And I sat there at that 20 week scan and if I'm honest, like, you know, I haven't seen loads of ultrasounds. Like it not much of it made sense to me. And but until someone said, oh that's an arm and I'd be like, yeah. oh yeah, that's an arm. Like, you know, like I I wouldn't have recognized it to be an arm until you told me, but I get it now. And I was looking at that screen. Laura was saying, look, there's a head, da, 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 there's a leg. And da, 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 da. And the conversation was mainly between Laura and the sonographer. And I was a bit on the periphery. And I remember thinking, like, this is the most incredible moment, yet the most painful moment at the same time. Mm. Because I am seeing my, my children for the first time, really, as, as, as babies, but I'm also like acutely aware of how much I don't know about them and how much someone else does know about them mm-hmm. and how much I'm missing out on and how much, you know, I wish I could do what Laura's doing right now. And yeah. It was, course. it's just all, you know, and that the, the whole journey is like that. It's just a double-edged sword. You know, there's a lot of joy and happiness, but literally, you know, just a centimetre in the opposite direction is a lot of grief, sorrow and despair and, you know, I guess you have to just be mindful of which side you decide to fall on. And generally, I fall on the I fall on the optimistic side. But there are those moments when you realise just how much you've you've sacrificed and given up to get to this point. So that twenty week scan was quite bittersweet for me. Um, but obviously, I was in, incredibly grateful that I that I got to go along and got to see the babies. And so, if I said to Laura, "Look, I really think it's important that Sati." finds a way to to come and see these children because because he needs to, he needs to see them just as much as I needed yeah. to see them today um and then at that point it was sort of coming into the summer of 2020 and the UK was sort of easing some mm-hmm. of its restrictions um and um clinics uh were opening up for private scans for partners so Sati um was booked in to go for a scan with Laura and we decided to take Amala up with us on that visit as well mm-hmm. because we wanted her to see the bump like I course, wanted her to yeah. understand that, that the babies are growing somewhere else partly because we were starting to have conversations with her on how she came from someone else's tummy and it would help her visualize that and partly because we wanted her to get to know that she was having this sibling and the physical there's not you know you can have as many zoom calls or whatsapp calls but physically seeing a bump is a totally different thing so Absolutely. we took her yeah so we, we we took her along and honestly that was one of the most magical days ever just sort of you know Sati and Sati getting to see the babies on screen and then the way Laura and Amala interacted with each other was just so beautiful like I don't think any of us were prepared for Amala to sort of have this weird bond with Laura like she was so she was so comfortable in her presence but she only met her once before and she was so 
confident in the fact that she could just say you know my babies are in Lawler's tummy and she just kept saying that like that's my babies that's my babies Lawler's looking after my babies and it was just the most beautiful thing and we you know we took some lovely photos and we had a really lovely afternoon and it was so precious because with Ina I did that time and time again but with Laura we only did it once and and it was you know it was it was just that that one opportunity but but it was it was so fulfilling um and then yeah we basically Laura went home and we went we went home and then um that was 20 I think it was about 24 weeks and and we sort of went about our business for the next few weeks and then uh, on early hours off a Saturday morning I received a phone call from Laura it was 3am actually on Sunday morning and uh, she just said to me queen of the babies are coming and I was like whoa like I think we'd always expect we obviously we knew we were never going to go to full term mm-hmm. um, so we kind of expected that we would have a call at some point but we didn't expect it to come at 30 weeks and I sort of worked sat in I was like Laura's on the phone with the babies are coming like Amala was asleep in her room and we had to sort of ring up Sati's mom in the middle of the night and just say, you're going to have to come over and babysit Amala because the babies are coming. And Laura, Sati and I were in the car within five minutes and we were up the motorway and uh, Laura lived in Northampton, which was sort of about just under one and about a two hour drive or something. Oh, like really? That. So, oh, so no. We, yeah, not, not around the corner. Oh, wow. Um, so we got in the car and shot up the motorway. And we were just sort of second guessing then what would be going on. Like, would we get there in time to see the babies born? Like, we knew how amazing it was to see Amala come into the world. And we're like, would we be there for the babies? And like, would Laura go, would it be really quick? And just, you know, couldn't wait to get there. And en route, I phoned, um, I basically arranged for the phlebotomist to get in to see Laura because I had this desire to harvest stem cells for the baby. Well, babies. Mm -hmm. Um just I think maybe because I've come from a life of cancer and yeah. ill health I thought you know that's really important that we we give them that insurance policy um so the phlebotomist was called and got everything in place and the phlebotomist just said when you get to the hospital just call me so I know where I'm going and I will be there ASAP so we got to the entrance of this um, maternity ward and I just said to the lady like oh we're the parents of the triplets that are being born by our surrogate I'm just gonna say that again. Laura might not want her surname. Yeah, so it's okay. I have to edit that yeah. out. Actually, yeah, I was thinking <laughs> that just as you said it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we got to the entrance, and we just said to the lady behind the desk, "Like we're the parents of the triplets that are being born by our surrogate. Um, can we just get? Um, can we get to her? Like we want to know what's going on and blah blah blah." And she just was like, "Whoa, hold on!" And we were like, "Okay." Uh, she goes, "Who are you?" And I said, "I'm the mum. He's the dad." And then they were like who's giving birth? I said, oh, surrogate. And she was just like, right, have you been COVID tested? Oh, and I said, no. no, like this is spontaneous labor. And then she looks at Satish, she goes, have you been COVID tested? I said, he goes, no. And then she looked at me, she goes, well, you can't go any further. I said, Laura hasn't been COVID tested. And she goes, yeah, but she's giving birth. I said, yeah. And I'm the mum. And she, she's basically like, you can't go anywhere you haven't been COVID tested and so I said if I was giving birth I would I would be allowed in wouldn't I and she was just like but you're not and you haven't you're you have you're not giving birth and you haven't been COVID tested you can't go through so I just said right COVID test me now and she was just basically she was just arguing she didn't have time to do the COVID test so I just turned around and I said to her look do you know what I'm not going to argue with you right now um 
I've got phlebotomist on standby. We've agreed with the hospital. It's in my birth plan, which is here, um, that we're harvesting stem cells. I need to let the phlebotomist in. So just tell me where she's going. And she goes, what did she, I don't understand what you're saying. And I said, uh, she's going to harvest stem cells from the placenta or the, um, or the um, umbilical cord. Can you just get her in? Because that's time critical. And she goes, but I don't, I don't, it's, that's not possible. And I was like, well, the frick isn't that possible? Like, you know, like what's wrong now? I said, she's COVID, the, the phlebotomist has a COVID test. Yeah. Um, and she goes, no, the placenta is not available. And I was like, well, use the umbilical cord then. And she goes, no, no, no. The placenta has been sent away. And I looked at her and like, it's like the cogs turned in my head. And then I just looked into her eyes and I just said, if the placenta has been sent away, are you telling me that my children have been born? And she looked at me and she goes, did you not know? And that's how we found out that oh, our babies had been born. So we started crying, like just <sighs> burst into tears in this foyer because we were overjoyed, I guess, that we were parents, but frustrated that we were being kept away from our children. Um, and then I just said, are they okay? Like, you know, are they okay? Is Laura okay? And she looked at me cold as day and just said, I can't tell you anything oh else. Oh my God. And I said, said why and she goes I shouldn't have told you that the babies had been born if you didn't already know that they were born and I was like well I'm really sorry but my surrogate is not able to phone me from whatever circumstance or situation she's in whilst giving birth to triplets like my birth plan is here I have every right to know what's going on with those children and bearing in mind we've been told this is a high-risk pregnancy we get you know we we then say to her have all three babies made it and she just said, I cannot tell you oh, what's going God. on. And that was it. So Satya and I just cried and cried some more. And like I just said to her, can you just please COVID test me now? And she said, no, we're really, really busy. And by <gasps> this point, we'd been arguing for over an hour in the no. foyer. You know, we got in the car. <clears throat> yeah, we got in the car at four o'clock. We arrived at Northampton by six o'clock. By seven o'clock, we were still arguing. And I just said, can you just do the test? And she goes, we're quite busy. Can you please come back at 11 o'clock to do your COVID test? And I said, if I come back at 11 o'clock, which is three hours from now, how long will it take you to turn around the results for my COVID test? She goes, six to eight hours. So I said, you're telling me that if I do my test at 11 o'clock, I won't know the results until six, seven o'clock. So I've been here for 12 hours. My children have been born for 12 hours, but you won't let me in. And she goes, yeah, I'm afraid that's the situation. We're living in a pandemic. No, and no, no. Yeah, and then and then I said, and then Satya and I just said, what do you expect us to do now between 7 a.m. and 11 a.m.? That's three hours. And she just said, why didn't you go to McDonald's and get a coffee? And that was her. That was her solution. And, and I just turned around and said, any other mother? A receptionist? A lady who was, I think she was part of the nursing team. Oh, um, gosh. And there wasn't anyone else around at the time. And I just I just thought, would you tell any other mother to go to McDonald's to get a coffee whilst their children are, are, are well, we didn't even know if our children were alive. You know, we knew they were 30 weeks and so they were probably being taken into neonatal. Um, we just didn't know anything, you know. And so we just then thought, what, what can we do? We could stand here and argue or we've just got to walk away, you know, we if she's not letting us in that the, there's nothing more we can do right now 
so I sent Laura a message and she'd actually she was sleeping at the time and I just look we've been here since six o'clock they're not letting us in they're telling us we have to wait till 11 for a COVID test you know we're, we're just going to push and try and get that test done faster then sat, we, we, we sort of sat here just said let's just go for a walk and we turned around and like I just went into the car and like fell into a bit of a heap and you know didn't want to go anywhere or do anything I was just devastated mm. and he sort of then got out of the car and he goes, oh, do you know what? I'm just going to go to the loo quickly. And then let's just go to the park and get some fresh air and like, you know, try and get our heads around what's going on. And as we sort of let, actually before we left the hospital, another nurse came out and Laura's um, midwife also came out. And we just said, is Laura okay? And she goes, look, she's resting. She's okay. She she had an emergency C-section. And then another nurse just came up to us the, the, the quite awkward lady had sort of walked away and she just said I, I want you to know that all three of your children survived the birth and all three of them are now in neonatal um so at least we knew then that we had, had three children you mm-hmm. know on the neonatal unit and 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 that Laura was recovering from her mm. c-section um and so we left and Sati then sort of went back in to go to the loo and as he did he bumped into another nurse who just said weirdly sort of said are you the dad of the triplets? And he goes, yeah. And she said, what, what are you doing? And he just said, look, we've been told we've got to wait till 11 for a COVID test. And she goes, oh, that's ridiculous. Let me just test you now, get oh, your wife. Wow. So he came out and got me. Yeah, he came out and got me. And then, you know, she just was like, it takes two seconds to do a test. Let's just do it. So she did the COVID test. But then she said to us, you're going to have to go away until the results come in. And at the time, we were really grateful that she did the test. But now, looking back on it, I'm like, I shouldn't have had to do the test to to be able to get in to see, even if not the children on the unit, to see Laura. Because I was, you know, I was on the birth plan as as the person who had who was allowed to be with her, and Sati was down there as the father, genetic father of these children. Like, and once we had eventually got through, which sort of what what we ended up doing was we basically did the COVID test, got in the car, drove another two hours back home, saw Amala, spent a few hours with her, Laura tested. Yeah, because there was no other point in us staying (gasps) in Northampton because what would we have done? Like we would have just stood outside the hospital. So we got in the car and just drove back. Like we did a COVID test and drove back and then sort of spent a few hours with Amala and sort of told her she was a big sister. And then Laura was keeping a check from on the on the COVID situation through nurses in the ward and she texted us saying your results are in you're negative we knew we were negative because we had been self-isolating for the past however long um and then yeah she so she just said look just get in the car they're going to phone you anytime now anyway so we got in the car and then as we were driving up yep we got a call you're negative come up to the hospital so we drove back up again and um went in and and we went you know first thing we did was going to see Laura and just sort of figure out what was going on and we didn't know what sex the children were by this point because after all the arguing I just didn't want I don't want anyone to tell me that I just said you know what I'm I'm so sick of all of this like the one beautiful thing that's going to come out of this is Laura's going to tell me what sex my children are because I don't want to hear it secondhand from anyone Mm -hmm. um so we kept, you know, we 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 kept made sure no one told us. And then we walked into the hospital and sat next to Laura, and like she told us everything that had happened. And then, you know, I think my heart broke a little bit at the fact that she had to do, to do all of that on her own with no yeah. birth partner, and you know, at thirty weeks going for an emergency C section, you know, bring three children into the world and then have no one to hold her hand at any point. Like no one should have to do that. No. Um. 
and then she just said anyway like you know the long and short of it is that you've got three sons and me and sat I was flawed honestly flawed like <laughs> I got it so right with Amala and then I got it so wrong with the boys like I was like oh you know it's going to be two boys and a girl and, blah, blah, and, Sati, and Laura was like no it's going to be two girls and a boy like none of us had ever thought about them all being the same sex but they were and um yeah so so, so 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 we found out that that was that and I said Laura would you like to come up with us as we go to see when we go and see them and she goes don't be silly this is this is these are your children this is your moment to meet them for the first time this isn't my place I'll I'll meet you another time maybe tomorrow or maybe later on I will come up and see you but go and see your sons and and, and go and welcome them into the world so that's what we did and Laura and I uh, sat, sat we, you know we all had a massive hug and then Sati and I were taken up to neonatal and the minute we walked through the doors of neonatal honestly the staff there were incredible you know Good. they didn't yeah they didn't ever um doubt us as the boys parents they didn't ask us any questions they they knew as soon as we stepped foot in there that, that we were their parents and um the one consultant he was incredible so a nurse walked us into the room and then um a consultant followed in and he goes oh you must be mum and dad your boys your boys are incredible they've been through so much already look at them they're such fighters and Aww. I want to tell you everything about it and you know they told they told us all about sort of what the lines were that each of the boys were on and all of the all of the fluids that they were being given and all of the machinery that was around them and you know it's it's obviously overwhelming when you go and you have one child in the neonatal unit when, mm-hmm. when you have three it's off the scale you know you're you want to be there for all of them, but you can only physically stand by one incubator. So Sati was stood by one incubator. I was stood by another incubator. There were some nurses at the third incubator. Um, and we just soaked it all up, you know, and just looked through those little perspex boxes and just thought, wow, you, you absolute miracles, you know, look at you. They were perfect, you know, they were tiny, but they, you know, they're perfectly formed, like 10 little fingers, 10 little toes, you know, oh, they were just magic. And, and like, you know, we didn't want to leave them. We just, we just wanted to stay there the whole night. Obviously we couldn't, we knew we had to come home and like do that two hour drive back down the motorway again. So we sat with them for as, (laughs) we sat with them for as long as we could. And then I think it was about 10 o'clock at night or something or nine o'clock. We we just need to go because we've got another, this was our fourth time down the M4, but fourth time down the M1 um, in a period of sort of 24 hours. So we got back down the M1, got home. I think we were a bit of drunk on 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 love at the point in time, you know, like that we've got these three babies and and they were so well looked after that actually we felt okay walking away at that point because we'd done everything we could to be there for them. Um we came home and then sort of didn't really do much, just sort of slept that night and then we were woke up with Amala at six o'clock the next day, and then by seven o'clock we were back on the road back up to Northampton. Um and then we did the up and down journey for about a week. I think we did it. Yeah, we did it for one week and it was it was breaking us. Like, you know, we were getting up at the crack of dawn to get there for the doctor's visits and then getting back in time to put Amala to bed. And, mm-hmm. you know, she was like wondering where mommy and daddy kept yeah, course, going. Yeah. She was on her own here and it was really difficult. And we decided then we would relocate to Northampton because we were told the boys could be in neonatal um, or special care for up to eight weeks due to their prematurity and their needs. So after a lot of searching, we found a rental place and we uh, we basically hired it out. It was across the road from the nursery. It was a two bedroom flat. Uh, we packed up all our 
crap from home that we would need um, and moved up there. And we took my mother-in-law with us because she was looking after Amala at the point at which Satya and I would be sort of going into hospital. I was still working um, because oh my God. there were sort of restrict. I know there were restrictions around sort of how many people could visit at, at a point in time because of COVID and and the amount people allowed on the ward and stuff. So I I just didn't want to trigger my maternity leave when I wasn't using it to when I wasn't spending it with my children. So so basically, I was I'm really lucky. Like I I work for a great company who allow you to flexibly work. So I just said to them, look, I'm not taking maternity. I will work in between the hours that I need to go to the hospital, blah, blah, blah. And they were fine. They're brilliant at that. So so I continued to work for the next two months while the boys were in neonatal. Um, And at sort of when they were sort of four, four and a half weeks old, they were strong enough to transfer back down to our local um, hospital. So we cared for them for four weeks in um, the Northampton and then we transferred them back down to East Surrey, which was our local hospital. Um, and it was really, again, sort of the neonatal was really difficult. I mean, it, it, it's very challenging to be a parent of a child who's in that in that situation. And, you know, there's so much information to take on board. There's so many things that could go wrong with your children. Um, but I did at a point in time sort of have a word with myself and say you know look you've got to see the positive in this and for me the positive was that if my you know if our pregnancy had gone to full term or or a lot you know even to 36 weeks or something like that I would never have got a chance to be with my children they they would have stayed with Laura and then they would have been born and come back to come come home to me at that point in time but the fact that they arrived early brought me to them at 30 weeks and every day I was able to sit with them and I was Mm -hmm. able to put my hand on their head and I was able to nourish them with whatever feed they needed and change their nappies and do all this stuff and it just felt like for me that period in neonatal and that that time that they spent in incubators was an extension of a pregnancy of some sort and it's like that that yeah and for me that incubator was like an I just used to go in there and see it as an extension of my womb and just in the ways if I was carrying them inside me I would be able to sit with them and hold them and mm-hmm. you know watch them grow I was watching them grow through those perspex boxes and and that was what I had to sort of take away from the NICU experience and and that's how I see it and how I will continue to see it as it was they were brought here early for a reason and that reason was for me to have that time to bond with them before they came home um and so they so, so, so they did incredibly well and they came back to our local hospital and they, they grew a bit more there and they actually were ready to be discharged at different times no, really. So the hospital tried to, to sort of say, yeah, the hospital were like, oh, you know, triplet two's ready before and triplet three's ready, but triplet one's not ready. And do you want to take them home? And like Satya and I were quite adamant that we wouldn't take them home individually. And I just said, look, do you know what? From the point at which they were frozen on a straw as embryos, they have never been separated. And I've not come this far to take one baby home and leave the other two in hospital. They come home at the same time. Of course, if your unit is overflowing and there are mm-hmm. sick babies that need the space, I will take them home. But as it stands, you know, you're telling me that you've got plenty of space. I'm not I'm not going to bring them home because they come home together Um you know they're 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 a group and they come home together and they've got each other's backs while they're in here so we left them in there together and then um on the god 14th of october it was three days after my birthday um we packed all our stuff up and we did an overnight stay um in the hospital and then uh, you know we were seen as we knew how to look after them (laughs) and 
and so then on the yeah on the 14th of October 2020 we brought the boys home um after a lot of faffing on how to fit three car seats in the back of a not so big car and no. um, we got them in yeah we, we were gonna hire a like we were due to hire like a minivan but <laughs> one thing and another things just went wrong and uh, eventually we ended up putting them in the back of our car perfectly safely strapped into the seat belts um and we got them home and and honestly that moment that we brought them home was just you know a real sort of goosebumps type of moment because it wasn't just that our three sons had come home it was that our family was complete and it was that you know all of the adversity that come before mm-hmm. that came before them was was worth every every bit of pain and blood sweat and tears and that it was just the most magical family we could ever have dreamt of and you know we could never have imagined that this would be our outcome like so many times in our life Satya and I have talked about like if one of us didn't you know so many times we've had that conversation where I just go if I don't make it if I don't make it tell this person this if I don't make it tell that person that and then now I'm here like you know I'm 41 years old I'm a mum of four amazing children and it was all it was just destined, you know, that you could you you couldn't possibly script it in any no, other way. You absolutely could not that. script it. <laughs> Your story is so <laughs> unique and so incredible. Um, thank you oh, thank for you. sharing everything. No, so you, you now have three bouncing ten-month-olds. Are they ten months now? Oh yeah, they're, they're nine and a half nine and a half months old-ish they're, they're, they're absolutely beautiful and the irony is beautiful. that actually I spent so much time look- oh thank you I said the, the irony is that I spent so much time trying to f- track down this Indian donor to so I'd have Indian looking children but actually they've turned out to be milky white skin with bright blue eyes which is again like <laughs> it is so unlikely to have happened given like the, the genetic profile of the biological parents but that's what's that's what's happened and you know what like I actually am I'm really thankful that that's how they look because when I look at them I see the journey we went on and I wonder if they looked exactly like me would I always see that would I always be as grateful as I am each and every morning when I look in their eyes like they serve as a real purpose you know for the fact that they do have white skin and blue eyes because they don't need to conform because nothing about our family is conventional you know it's just (laughs) miraculous they're perfect they fit in absolutely perfectly Queen, thank you like so so much for sharing your story it's um yeah it's slightly mind-blowing um at the end of the podcast uh, very quickly um if you could have coffee with one other female um alive dead famous um who would it be and why it would be Oprah I think um like I I did say earlier that I'm really spiritual and I like I just love um listening to Oprah's chat and I think she's really full of wisdom and I think that she's one of those people who has done so much work in the space of spirituality and personal development and self-love that she's like an encyclopedia you know you you could go to her and find out the best bits of every other teacher in this space so I think it'd be her just because she'd be the key to um the key to all the other uh, all the other bits of knowledge that I want to unlock (laughs) And since you've been, um, since you have become a mum, is there anything that you've noticed yourself saying that your mum used to say to you? You know what? The, I don't actually notice that. Actually, I haven't. Um, I haven't that's, found that's myself okay. saying, saying that, apart, to say that. Apart from the fact that, I, yeah, I'm always saying to a mother, like, "I love you so much. I love you so Aww. much." That I do that. Um, 
but yeah no I haven't actually noticed myself say stuff that that my mum used to say and um considering your epic journey is there one piece of advice you could share (laughs) oh do you know what my my one piece of advice is just to follow your heart in everything not just in your role as motherhood but actually in your own being and like one of the things I always say is that I I don't ever want to lose myself in having found my children and I think that's really important because we as mothers want to give so much of ourselves away um but actually we we are the people that we are and we've brought our children into this world so we can't forget that because that would do them a disservice Mm -hmm, because they mm -hmm. need to know the best they need to know you as the best version of yourself yeah so so don't lose that just because you have them and also I rant on about this all the time on my Instagram (laughs) if you need to feed your children pouches feel free to do it don't feel the pressure I know pre-made food all the way if you need to do it I read that post um, and (laughs) I was horrified and felt the need to apologize I don't know why but um yes oh no what for no, for the for the um, was it a health visitor who said it to you? Even though I'm not a health visitor, I felt the need to. Yeah, apologize. why would you need to apologize? It was the health visitor, previous I mean, ex-NHS yeah. worker. I was like, why is she saying that to you? <laughs> like, I'm just yeah. literally in awe of how you function from day to day. It's incredible. <laughs> um, thank you so so oh, so no. much thank for sharing. Thank you so your story much for having me. me on. Oh my and, god, it's um, the middle of the night where you are. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I'm actually yeah. I might just ditch sleep tonight and uh, <laughs> just keep going. I normally get up in two hours, so. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm so fine. sorry. No, no, it's been Probably such a pleasure for so long. Yeah, so. Oh um, my god. No, it's beautiful, and um, thank you, thank you again. So have a wonderful. Are you going to bed now? It's bedtime. Oh yeah. Don't yes. do your Tesco yeah. shopping now. Do that tomorrow. Oh no, do that tomorrow. <laughs> Take care. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening and a huge thank you to Karina for sharing her time and her story with me. I'm so in awe of Karina's strength and determination to realise her dreams of motherhood. Please give Karina a follow on social media as she shares so much of her busy family life, but most importantly, the truth about having a loving family built through surrogacy. Have a great week and of course I'll be back again next Thursday with another story of Motherhood Exposed.